But we want to welcome you home to Voice of Praise. We're glad you're here. Now, if you're here for the first time, or if it's been a long, long time since you've been here, uh, hopefully uh, you were given a Connect card. Please fill one of those out and turn it in and because uh, we would like to get to know you a little bit better and I won't be I'm not going to be uh putting you on a call list or selling your information or trying to sell you a used car warranty on your 1991 uh, Kia but uh, we would like to get to know you just a little bit better so if you would do that for me I'd appreciate it It's time to go to the word I love the word of God the word of God is Tremendous. It's powerful. It's described as being sharper than any any two-edged sword, and uh, uh, the Word of God is good for us. I, I I totally reverence the Spirit of God. I honor the Spirit of God, but I believe the Spirit of God always will coincide with the Word of God uh, because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now, this morning in in our life group, and if you haven't ever been to a life group, I urge you to do so. Uh, come be part of a life group. Uh, we have two adult life groups, and uh, one is uh, more of a traditional Sunday school type class. Barry leads it. The other one's a little bit more uh, contemporary in, uh, in the sense that it's topical. And um, that's Sarah and I said in one that when Alicia leads it this morning we talked about being fat. No, really, we talked about our eating habits as Christians and uh, and our and our uh, routines and our exercise and and taking care of our bodies as believers. And uh, I, Alicia, that was great. You, uh, I feel guilty. I feel convicted. I feel judged, but it was great, you know. No, it was, it was, it was some great conversation. Second Timothy chapter number one, verses three through seven. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you. So that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith. Which you first lived in your grandmother Lois. And in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you. I want to read verse 5 to you one more time. I am reminded of your sincere faith. Which first lived in your grandmother Lois. And in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded. Faith now lives in you also for this reason. Or in other words, because of that, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and Self-discipline. I want to preach to you, if you would, for the next few minutes with the thought in mind that this this just a reminder. Just a reminder. We hear much today concerning relationship and the Christian and the Christian faith. 
And understand me very well that the Christian faith is certainly founded on relationship. We can be religious and never have a relationship with Jesus. We can go through processes. We can learn routines. We can learn, uh, we can learn what the triggers are, if you would, to get things going. But more important than any of that is, is our relationship with the Lord. I read a, one of my devotionals this week. It spoke about being in a, in a relationship with the Lord and, 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 and sometimes we can have relationships. John, come up here. Uh, and, and I, I want to use John and I'm going to ask Miss Sarah to come up here and, and help me. But, but John, John and I have this kind of relationship. We're side by side. We're brothers in the Lord. We have the same haircut. He is slightly taller, but that's beside the point. But this is the kind of relationship John and I have. But you know, but I have a different relationship with this woman right here. You know, this woman right here is, is not a side by side relationship. This is a, this is a face to face relationship of even, give me something right there. Hey, it is Valentine's week, you know, okay. It, it, so, so it is, it is a difference. There is, there is difference in relationships, okay? There, there is relationships and, uh, that are casual relationships and then there's relationships that are more intimate, if you would. And I promise you my relationship with John is very casual, okay? Amen. Amen. The good thing about right, you know, about when right now John's, John's because Madison's taking her uh, pregnancy leave. John is the main piano player for right now in the church. And, and the thing about it is you don't have to worry about the preacher running off with the piano player. I promise you. Okay? You never have to worry about that anyway. But the Christian faith is found at, in being in a relationship with Jesus. Rather than maintaining just a bunch of rules and regulations that we can call, if you would, religion. And, but I'm also going to use religion in another term or another turn, if you would, later this morning, Lord willing. So whether those rules and regulations be just a handful or whether it be thousands of them, we cannot overlook that relationship must be established through a means of believing and having, uh, if you would, an intimacy, not a sexual intimacy, but having a close intimacy with God through and by the person of Jesus Christ. Now, our relationship with Christ should not and is not based on the imagination of our minds. Okay? Don't ever think that... that that Christianity, don't ever confuse faith with mind over matter. Don't ever do that. Because it's not a mind over matter circumstance. It's not about the imagination of our minds. One of the most miscontextualized scriptures in the Bible is Philippians 2 and 12. Paul gave instruction for each person to work out their own salvation. There in Philippians 2 and 12. To the contrary, 
It's not about us working out our salvation. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can, people will, will use that scripture out of context and they'll say, you know, there was a song that came out many years ago. I had a, I had a great friend. He's now passed and gone on and, and I had opportunity to do some recording with him and things. And he loved this old Tom T. Hall songs. And some of y'all probably don't even know who Tom T. Hall is. And Tom T. Hall wrote a song that said, me and Jesus has got our own thing going. Me and Jesus. It's got it all worked out. Well, listen to me. Certainly we do have a relationship with Jesus. But my relationship with Jesus can and will and must be worked out according to his plan and what he has outlined in his word. I can't devise my own doctrine. I, it's not up to me to devise my own re- religion, if you would. I cannot create a new... We live in a world today that, that some people, even in the realm of quote-unquote Christianity, believe that the same God that the Muslims worship is the same God we worship. And that's not so. It's not so. They believe the same God that the Hindu religion or gods that they worship is the same God that we worship. No, in order to have a relationship with Jesus, we must be followers of Jesus. And He is the Word of God, become flesh, and therefore we follow the Word. This is as close as we have in our physical presence to Jesus. Is right here in my hand. And laying on your lap, perhaps, or... On your phone this morning. So salvation can only be found in Christ. As it is outlined in scripture. So what Paul was addressing was. This. Every person work out your own soul salvation. He's not talking about designing a new way of being saved. But what he is saying is. That we must. Discover, or we must find salvation for ourselves. Because I can't give it to you. A priest can't give it to you. Uh, an evangelist can't give it to you. You know, I, uh, there's people that spend thousands of dollars that they don't even have to try to drive thousands of miles that they shouldn't be driving to, to go and find ministers of the gospel that can't give them any more than they find right here or wherever their home church is at. You see, everything comes from Jesus. Now, that doesn't say that he doesn't have anointed vessels, and that doesn't say that he doesn't have servants, but the reality of it is we must discover salvation. We must discover it here. Jesus said to, to Peter, he says, but Peter, who, who, you know, what, who are people saying who I am? But then he goes on, he said, but Peter, who, who do you say that I am? He says, oh Lord, you are the Christ. You are the anointed one. And, 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 and that's when actually his name was Simon then. And that's when Jesus gave Simon a name change and changed his name to Peter because he says that upon this rock, I shall build my church. The rock was not Simon Peter. The rock was the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one, and he is the savior of the world. So it's not based on the imagination of our mind, or it's not based on some uh, uh, design or drawing that we can come up with. Because God 
And, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't converse with Pam this week at all about what she was singing, but, but, but this statement goes so much with that last song that we sang. God is righteous and He is just in all of His doings and holiness is found in the written Word of God. This is the gold standard of our faith. As followers of Jesus Christ. This is the gold standard. It's not by what some man can say. What some woman can prophesy. This is the gold standard. If it doesn't come in alignment with this word. You that can consider it perhaps silver. Or maybe even fool's gold. But this is the gold standard. This is the proven. Unadulterated. Inerrant word of God. And this is what will stand. And this is what the word will be judged by when that day comes the word of God is the gold standard and I said all of that to say this the church must have scriptural orthodoxy or theology to know what and the why of our faith oftentimes as believers people say why do you believe what you believe? Well, you know, that's just what I've always been taught. Or when did you start believing what you believe? Well, I just, I, my, my granny, that's what my granny believes, so I just always believed that. Yeah. We, the, we, we have a challenge before us to dive into the Word of God and discover the Word of God and discover the truth. Remember, it is that gold standard. And then we, in that words, we find that we will have life. And we will have life much more abundantly. So there's an orthodoxy or a theology that we must determine and we must discover. But then there is also another 50 cent word I want to put on you this morning. There is also, there's also orthodoxy. But there's another word that is orthopraxy. And what orthopraxy means is you're taking orthodoxy and you're putting it into work. Or it's the ability to act out or to Respond to what we believe. Now we can say we believe all day long. We say, we can say, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting here that we're all zapped into the same level of maturity and we're not all zapped into perfection, but we can profess what we believe all day long. We can, we can declare what we know all day long, but until we can take what we know and what we believe and we put it into action, it is in reality, it is dead. And that is what James talks about in his epistle is faith without works is dead. So not only is it important to know what you believe and why you believe that and have orthodoxy, it's also important that we have orthopraxy and we're able to take our faith and we're able to put our faith into action and put it into work in the kingdom of God. Last week I preached about the American church and how we're living in very challenging times and we are. Man, I, I, I just, sometimes I just don't know how far it goes. 
And I may, I may offend somebody in this, but I guess it's okay. Jesus offended people every once in a while, but I'm not doing it in a, in a malicious way. I read things in the news like this week. I read one thing in the news that now there is a group that has raised up, if you would, opposition against the company that builds carousels, merry-go-rounds, like Dollywood and the carnival because they don't want them to use animals anymore because it is promoting animal abuse. That's the world that we live in. It sounds funny. It's a, but let me tell you, these people are exercising a voice and they have a right to exercise their voice, but there, there is great, there is a lot of credence been given to voices just like that. Now, does it, is it a spiritual matter whether you ride a horse, an ostrich, but what they're wanting is bulldozers and dump trucks. It doesn't matter what you ride at, you know, I, I, I ain't, I'm not big on carousels anyway. They make me dizzy, you know, going around in a circle and up and down and up and down. You know, I, I'm more given to ride that little bench that just sets steel, you know. But there's all kind of weird things that are happening in our society. There, there, there's, there's many other things. I, I don't have time to go into a bunch more this morning. But there's stuff like that. It's just, it's just crazy and it's weird that it's happening around us. But yet, we're in challenging times, but we find ourselves in these challenges that there are opportunities. Opportunities for you and I as believers to rise and shine and push back against the darkness that's in the world. And we and light will always prevail against darkness. One of the sessions that we sat in this week, I really liked what uh, I really liked what the instructor said about. It. He said, "What's the opposite of light?" Wrong answer. The opposite of light is not dark. There is no opposite of light. But what light does, light, light, darkness is the absence of light. So when there's light, there cannot be darkness. So they're not really opposites at all. I love that. So what we find ourselves in is we're the light of the world. We're called. If the light is hid under a bushel, then where, how can it light the world? But if we are being the lights of the world that God has called us to be, light will always dispel darkness. You can never have a dark room and turn on a light and then it still be dark. It won't happen. You can light a match in the darkest of room and suddenly light is prevailing over darkness. We are called to be light in a dark place. We're called to be not only light, but we're called to be salt and light. We're the preservative of the world. We're the keeping power of the world. We may be in a minority in America now, that, that you know, but that doesn't matter because but just because we're in a minority doesn't mean that we're on the losing side. Minority has nothing uh, to do really with failing or succeeding minority has nothing to do with winning or losing we are in a minority but yet we're on the winning side because jesus is with us and he is holy as we just sang about and he cannot fail and he will not lose and and there is no way that the church is going to go under now there may be congregations to fold there may be buildings to close up but i've got news for you today the church of jesus Christ is never going out of business. It's never closing down because God will have his church. It's a given. It's ordained. So we take what we have 
we take our relationship, we take our orthodoxy, and we begin to use it, and if you would, for that 50-cent word, begin to practice or create orthopraxy. We begin to take the word, and we begin to react and act upon it. But there's struggles. There's struggles. I often observe the church struggling. Not God. Okay? I don't, I, God has never struggled. But I see the church oftentimes struggling. And I think the church is struggling in certain areas right now in America. I think one area that the church is struggling in America is that we have a problem being that minority that I just spoke about. We struggle with that. We, we don't know how to exist in a society where we, we are the minority. It's hard for us. Because used to, we, we had strong voice in government. But that's no longer true. Used to, we had a strong voice in, in the public workplace or on the public square. But that's no longer true. Certainly we could argue and, and we, we've done so many, many times and, uh, you and I and, 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 and many, uh, many other believers, we, we have, we have exercised our voice and, and there's nothing wrong with standing for those things that are moral and those things are right. But in, in, until recent years ago, the church in America had the strong voice. Now we're just another voice in America. But as the church proceeds, I want to remind you that the fields are white to harvest. It doesn't, it's, God does not, God's, God's success and the furtherance of His kingdom was not dependent on whether Roe versus Wade was overturned. I want you to know that. Now I thank God that it was. Don't misunderstand me. But, but, but God's ability was not hinged on whether that was overturned. God's ability is not, is not hinged on who wins the next election. I want you to know that. God's ability is, is not hinged on who, who supports Israel and who doesn't support Israel in this war. His ability is not hinged on that at all. The, for, the fields are white to harvest. Everything is before us. The other struggle that we have is sometimes we struggle with making our faith a public matter. You know, used to that going, being a Christian and going to church, even if you weren't a Christian, going to church used to be Sociably acceptable. It was what you were expected to do on Sunday. Stores didn't open on Sunday. There weren't any kids' ball games on Sunday. You didn't do anything on Sunday. You couldn't hunt on Sunday. You couldn't fish on Sunday. Nothing happened on Sunday. It was a day that was set aside for worship. All that in America is now gone. And in fact, going to, going to the house of the Lord, going to worship, or set aside, setting aside a day, if you would, for Sabbath, or setting aside a day for rest, you're now looked at as being a weirdo. 
in society. But yet God is still in control. And we, but we're struggling with that. We're struggling to fit in. We, none of us wants to be called weird. I know I'm weird, okay? But I don't like be call, being called that. You know? Some of you made fun of me the other day. It was posted. I don't know how it got. Yes, I do know how it got there. Forgive me, Jesus. It was posted on Sarah's Facebook page that I was going to let my hair grow out and grow into a mullet. You know? Wouldn't that be weird? There's weird, there's weird, I don't, but we, we like fitting in. We don't like be calling weird. But as we preach the Bible and we live out biblical Christianity, we're, we may not fit into status quo. It doesn't mean that we have to be some type of off the wall freakish person, but yet it means that we stand and we hold fast to the, the doctrine or the theology or the orthodoxy of the Word of God and we're, we're practicing orthopraxy by living out what we believe in a world that is going totally the opposite direction. Wow. And we have to realize the responsibilities of our mission. Our desire all too often is to change what people do rather than changing what they believe. You see, that's an error that I make. That's an error that I make. That's an error that pastors make. It's an error that Christians make. We want to change people. We want to fix people. Wouldn't you like to fix her? Yeah, that's why I've been trying 55 years and still ain't got her fixed. Why don't you just screw that red head off and just reach in there and fix everything and screw it right back on? Yeah, won't work. Won't work. Why? Because I'm not going to let him. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, we, we, we have many times, many times, whether it's a pastor or whether it's believers or moms and dads or granny and grandpas and, you know, whoever we are, we like to, we would like to fix people. We would like to do that. Fix everything up, screw it right back up. But listen, it does not work that way. God has not called us to fix people, but what He has called us to do is to live a life of Christ-likeness in front of those that we're around in order that we may lead them and point them into the direction of Christ. I can't fix, I can't fix her either for you, okay? Okay, you just on your own, buddy. You and Jesus gotta work it out. Y'all, you and Jesus gotta get your own thing going and fix her right there, okay? He does. He does. He does. AK might not, but he, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I love picking on her cause she's redheaded. I told her the other day she looked like Reba McIntyre and she said, oh, don't say that. But you know, it's not our job to fix people. It's our job to, to lead people and point people to Christ. Not really even, you know, we say point them to the cross and, and there is significance there in the cross, but in reality the cross is empty. But we're pointing people to Christ. We're pointing people to Jesus. That's our responsibility. That's our jobs, if you would. We, 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 we can't fix people at all. And change in reality is only going to occur 
in a person's life when they begin to believe differently. When they begin to believe differently, their life will be transformed. Their life will be changed. When they begin to believe upon Christ and they believe upon this Word, then their lives will change. And what we live out in front of people is going to influence what they believe. And I'm not talking about what they believe about us, but what they believe about the Lord and the Scripture. And here, But here's what happens. We become frightened. We become if you're here in West Virginia, you, we could become skirt. Yeah, I, I seen they used to have it on back truck windows. I ain't skirt. You know, instead of no fear, it had I ain't skirt. We become frightened. We become scared. We 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 begin to draw back because uh, we become afraid of the world that God is calling us to reach. We become. Scared of those that say that they're of a different gender than they were born. We become scared of those that say that they uh, are attracted to someone of the same sexual orientation as they are. We become scared of people that say they're drug addicts. We become scared of people that 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 have all kind of other. Uh, titles attached to them that that maybe don't line up with the Word of God. We become scared of those people, and rather than running to them or presenting to them, we withdraw from them because touch not which I have called unclean. And we will withdraw. We will withdraw from the teenage mom is not married. Don't know what she's going to do. We will withdraw from 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 that person that 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 can't hold their head still because they've destroyed their body with drugs. We will withdraw from them because it's more comfortable for us to be in our atmosphere. It's more comfortable for us. But I'm but I think about. A, a big dinner party that was supposed to be had one time. And I was reading about this. I wasn't, I wasn't there, but I'm planning on going. But it was reading about this dinner party and it, it and it said that, that an invitation was sent out to all these guests, but nobody showed up at the dinner party. Nobody arrived. And, and, and the master of the dinner party said, okay, here's what you do. You go out into the highways, highways and the hedges. You go out to where the people that are unworthy, that don't look like us, that don't smell like us, that don't act like us. They're dirty. They're stinky. They're not righteous. No, there's nothing good about them. You go out into highways and hedges and you love them. That's what the word compel means. You love them into coming and being at my Dinner party. Hello? Mm-hmm. But sometimes we're afraid to do that. In fact, most times, we're afraid to do that. I pastored a church a number of years ago. And just judging from the front steps of the church, 
sometimes in the front parking lot of the church. I would think R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company stock should have went up 15 points just because Sunday service. Not that I condone their having nicotine. It's killing them, okay? It's killing them. It's destroying them. But here's the deal, though. But I'm not going to tell them they can't come and be here because they have this habit that's killing them. The people that we need to reach are not the other people that are just like us. The people that we need to reach are the ones that are in the highways. They're in the hedges. That means they're laying in the ditch. They're laying in the guttering. Those are the people that are unclean. Those are the people that are stinky. Those are the people that have all kind of issues. Those are the people that are mixed up on every all, all these matters of life. Those are the people that we're called to live our life out before. We're sent out among the ravening wolves. We're sent, we're sent out. God is sending us out to places and the people that really don't like us. I know this makes you want to shout. There's three reminders Paul wrote to Timothy. First is, I want you to know your faith. He says, your faith, speaking of Eunice and Lois and Eunice, he said, your faith has a history of an enduring faith. Your your faith history is a history of enduring faith. He the United States was founded in resistance. We were placed here. We were, we came here because we resisted the church of England. We came here. This country was birthed in resistance. Not re- resistance to necessarily sin, but resistance to religion if you would. So why does resistance scare us now as the church? Why does resistance bother us? Why does the fear... You know, I've always heard this statement that, boy, you better read your Bible and memorize it because someday they don't come take it. Who's they? I don't know. Maybe it would be our government. Maybe it could be our government. But and, And maybe it could happen. I'm not saying that it won't, but understand this. I have nothing to fear. One of our forefathers in this country said, you have nothing to fear but fear itself. That's not necessarily a Bible scripture, but it's a good word. We have nothing to fear because my buddy Jimmy Hudson, he's passing gone on now. He, 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 he could sing. He not only knew about two or three songs, but one song that he sung is everywhere I go, the Lord is always with me. Everywhere I go, He's walking by my side. I have nothing to fear. I read of three Hebrew boys thrown into a fiery furnace. And they said, we're not going to bow before you. If, if, you know, our Lord is able to deliver us, but if He doesn't, it's still okay. Where is that attitude or mindset in the church today? 
we have nothing to fear. We may be in a minority, but God is with us. God is with us. Our resistance wasn't found in perversion, but it was found in religion. Perversion has existed since sin itself has existed. The consuming nature of immorality has been destroying individuals, families, and civilizations for generation after generation. The U.S., the United States of America, we have just been somewhat exempt to that. But times are now changing. But keep in mind, the church always has prevailed. And the church always will prevail. We must not forget, just a reminder, we must not forget that deposited in each of us as a believer is a gift of divine endowment and unusual favor. This gift of divine endowment and unusual favor is empowering. And it's enduring. And it's everlasting. And the gift that is given to the church, we call Him the Holy Ghost. He is the third person of the Godhead. And when I read what Paul wrote to the church in Corinthians, he said, only He will let until He that let us be taken out of the way. Right now, the keeping power and the preserving power of the kingdom of God is found in the person of the Holy Ghost. And I don't have to go looking for it because He's part of the omnipotent presence of God and He is working among us and He is keeping the church. Even as we sit in this room this morning. And thirdly, what Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, I want to remind you your faith has a history. I want to remind you that there is deposited in you a gift. And then thirdly, he said, I want you to stir up that gift. He said, I want you to fan the flame. You know what? I, I, we grew up very simple. We were, we were poor and didn't even know it because nobody had told us, I don't guess. I grew up in an old big two-story house. It's still standing. You know, it's getting in bad shape, but it's still standing out there on my uh, on uh, the place, my dad's property, which is now mine and my sister's. And, and if you go down into, like if you were going down into the cellar, you open the cellar door. For those of you who don't know what a cellar is, it's a very primitive form of a basement, okay? If you open the cellar door to go down in the cellar, and, and when you open the cellar door, they're sitting at the top of the steps on the top landing. There is a warm morning stove. It's about this tall and it's about that big square. And that warm morning stove sat in the middle of our house. And that warm morning stove is what I would get up and stand behind. About six o'clock every morning, you could hear my mama in there. And you could hear her shaking the grate. Any of y'all know what shaking the grate is? Uh, five or six of y'all know. See, you, in the bottom of that stove, there, there was a metal rack. It was called a grate. And all of those coals and all those embers had laid in that stove all night long. And it looked like a big black chunk of molten metal. But my little short mama, my little short mama that, that would get up and she would get out a little thing about this long and she would open the bottom little bottom door of that warm morning stove and you could hear that old grate. Clang, 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 clang. 
And that's what, that was our alarm clock. That's what woke us up. And when that chunk of molten coal and, and maybe, maybe some wood had been thrown on top of it, but when all that suddenly was broken up and the fire become fanned through the draft of the, the, the oxygen, the wind going through the stove, man, in a few minutes, I'd jump up out of that bed from that quilt and I'd go in there with my little jommies with the feet in them and I would get in between that stove and the wall and I look like a rotisserie going around. Saturday night in the winter months, it was bath night. And Saturday night, or not Saturday night, but Sunday night in the winter months was bath night. And they'd bring out that big old wash tub and they would set it in behind that warm morning stove and they'd get that fire all stirred up and you took a bath in behind that warm morning stove. Can anybody identify with me today? There's a few of you. Okay? My only problem is that my sister was older and she always got to use the bath water first. But I, I shared that little story. My, my memories, which are very fond memories. I had a good coming up. I want you to know that. But I remember my mom shaking that grate. I remember her stirring the coals. I can remember as I got older and was old enough to work the fire, I remember her teaching me how to shake the grate. I can remember how her teaching me how to reach down in that stove with that poker and, and, and bust the, the fire up that had laid there and, and seemingly grown dormant all its life. But it really, it hadn't gone away. It just needed to be stirred up. And that's what happens in your life and in my life. The coals of the Holy Spirit will lay in our life. The working of God will lay in our life and it will look like it's gone out. It will look like it, that, that it's been extinguished, but it's laying there and it's just glowing and all it's doing is waiting for something or someone, in particular you, to come along and stir it up one more time. Sarah and I Sarah and I were talking we were talking to somebody just the other day. We're, t- we're talking to them about revival. And, you know, and we pray for revival. I do the same thing. Lord, send us revival. Lord, send us revival. Lord, I'm waiting. Lord, I, I man, you know what? I grew up, the, fir- the first ten years of my Christian life, I spent my time running from revival to revival. Yeah, any of y'all ever followed a fire truck? Any of y'all ever chased a fire truck? You know, that's what a lot, that's what a lot of Christians do. We want to face, we, cause we know wherever the fire truck's going, there's a fire burning and we, everybody likes to go see a fire. Whether you do it, it might be tragic, but we were morbid like that. You know, we like to go see a good fire. If something gets our attention. We saw one last night, didn't we? Some, on Saturday. Hold on, look at all that smoke. Look at that fire down there. You know, wonder if it's a house, wonder if they're burning brush. I was getting all excited. And I used to chase fires from one place to another. I'd go to revival here, then I'd go revival there. Now, if you got to go revival to, to survive, I, I'd say more power to you. Go on to revival and survive. But, but this is what I'm saying to you. You don't have to go and don't go looking for somebody else to stir up your coals. Because what Paul wrote, what Paul wrote to Timothy here, he says you need to fan the flame. you in a cold spot with the Lord. You feel far away from the Lord. You feel like the Holy Ghost has departed you. You feel like, you feel like the, that, that your experience with the Lord is waxed cold. Let me tell you what. 
You're the person to do something about it. I used to go out and I, I didn't have sense enough to know any better. I hadn't been discipled. I used to go out in the, in the building. I used to go out in the shed and where the tractor's at and, and waller around in the dirt. And I'd, I'd look like a, I look like a mud baby when I was hot summer and I was all sweating that, all that dust out of the barn stuck to me. And I used to go out there and I'm like, Oh Jesus. Oh Jesus. I, I need to, you know, I, I didn't realize. I didn't realize. He's waiting on me to stir the, he's waiting on me to stir the flame. He's waiting on me to stir the coals. The only person that can do anything about your experience with God is you. Let me say that again when I'm really smiling. Sometimes I get too serious. The only person that can do anything about your experience with God is you. Because I'm not mad about it. God lit the fire on the altar in Leviticus chapter 6. But if you read it, you'll find that he told the priest, it's your job to keep it burning. God lit the fire in my life. God lit the fire in your life. Guess whose job it is to keep it burning? Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6. John wrote, we are made to be like a kingdom of priests. The priest's job in Leviticus was to keep the fire burning. God lit the fire. The priest, you had the job of keeping it burning. God lit a fire in your life. God's lit a fire in my life. It's up to us to keep it burning. We can't keep it burning by staying away from church. We can't keep it burning by staying away from His Word. We can't keep it burning by never pray. We'll keep it burning when we stir up the coals of our life and we begin to seek the face of God one more time. Then the flame will begin to burn and burn brightly and we the church will become ignited and we will burn and we will burn with the glory of God and Paul said Timothy I just want to remind you of these things so church I just want to remind you of these things fan the flame Fan the flame. I feel like somebody done fan my flame. I'm about to burn up. And I usually don't get hot. Fan the flame. Fan the flame. Because I promise you if there's one spark left. If there's one spark left. If there's one coal, if there's one hot coal left under the all the pile of debris, if you'll just, is this your coat? You don't have any money in the pocket or anything. If you'll just fan the flame. If you'll fan the flame. What looks small now. What looks like it's flickered and it's nearly out. If you'll fan it just a little bit. If you'll fan it a whole lot. All of a sudden, everything is back on fire. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for me for just a minute. I love you guys. And everything I preach this morning, I preach 
with all due respect and all love for you. And your fire may be flickering. You may need a good, great shaking today. You may need to turn over some coals and fan the flame. But don't give up, don't give out. Because with every flicker, there is an inferno. There is a fire to be birthed in your life once again. As you got your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, I want to add first, if you're here and you've never been saved, you've never known Jesus as your, as your Savior, I, I want to, I want to just say something to you. You need to be saved. You can never experience God apart from the person of Jesus Christ. And you must believe on Him as your Savior. There's no other way to be saved. So if you're here this morning and, and you're unsaved, I just wonder real quickly without embarrassing, I'm not going to come to you and I'm not going to call you out or anything like that, but just to know how to pray for you. If you're in this room and you're unsaved, you know you need Jesus as your Savior. Would you just slip up your hand for me real quickly? Anybody at all? I take it by the lack of response that everybody's well and happy with your experience in Jesus Christ. Notice I didn't say you're saved. I just said you're happy with where you're at. Because the raising of a hand does does or does not determine your salvation. But I have another question for you this morning. If you're in this room, maybe you've been through a lot. Maybe you've been through a lot of junk. Maybe you've been through a lot of tortures. Maybe you've been through a lot of trials. Maybe you've just been given over to complacency. But if you're in this room this morning and your fire is burning low, your flame is just a, a, a small flicker at the best. In fact, you're not also sure your flame hasn't gone out. You know you need a stirring. You need a fanning of the fire. If that's you in this room, it's, it's, listen, and this is nothing, this is nothing to be considered an embarrassment or humiliation. Because let me tell you something, I've been in that place many times. And I used to go chase revivals, as I mentioned earlier. I used to look for all kinds of things to happen. I used to, you know, I used to try to survive from one revival to the next until I figured, God, it's up to me to fan the flames. It's up to me to stir that relationship up. But we want to help you and we want to pray with you this morning. So if you're here this morning and your flame has burned low, it's just flickering. You're wondering if it's maybe not even gone out. If that's you in this room this morning, I just want you to slip your hand up right now and say, pray for me, Pastor. Anybody in this room, real quickly. God. Thank you. Are there any others? Thank you. Thank you. Any others this morning? This is what I want us to do real quickly. I want us to come up here and pray. I want everybody that can and will. If you're here for the first time, or maybe this is your second time, or... 
you've been here forever. This might be your last time, but but I, I'd like for you to come up here and let's let's have prayer this morning. And we're just going to pray that God fan the flame, fan the flame, God.